This week we are <laughs> the ultimate party people um, to talk about a show of, well, in honor of the a main show that we're going to talk about really today um, from DDT. If that's not giving it away enough, people uh, already know probably ultimate party. Good show. Possible. I don't know. What do you think? Possible DDT show of the year with the quality matches that are on there. Yeah, yeah. If some, if some, if someone was like, "That's their DDT show of the year," or their show of the year in general, like, okay, like that's that makes a lot of sense, and that's a pretty solid pick. I have yeah, nothing I to mean, say, but yeah, yeah. If you're inclined to uh to like DDT, I think that this is a good. It was a good, like, well-rounded show. Um, got uh, yeah, a bunch of stuff really going on. Um. But uh, I guess still currently the biggest news is just the Saudi Arabia deal, all the fallout that's continuing with that. Um, pretty interesting with whatever's going on there. Um, AEW building up to their pay-per-view this weekend. Um, did yeah, you, did yeah. you watch the TV this week? No, I'm going to do it. I'm probably going to do like a catch-up on it. Probably by the time that we stop recording and... Right tomorrow i'll try to do a catch-up on it because i haven't been i haven't watched the last three weeks okay okay i've uh i just need to watch this week's but i did see the cody promo that everyone's talking about did you get it did you check it out oh yeah that was great that was yeah. that was really great yeah. and i saw people I that, that were like fantastic. i was like eh, well you know it wasn't that good and i'm like look man in 2019 there hasn't been a ton of good wrestling promos that was probably one of the like by people that aren't david star that was probably the best wrestling promo of the year like, yeah, I mean, it's like it's, it's just because you don't like Cody, it's a, it's okay to admit it, guy. It was a good promo, right? right I know, and I, you know, for me, it's like I, 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 I posted pretty recently my list of like you know the top kind of independent, um, promo slash social media type workers, you know, just because that's kind of the way the game is going. And on the indies, there's there's an argument for who's the best, best of the best when it comes to all that stuff, but in the in the major leagues in the main event like who it really is there who's cutting great promos me nobody, I guess, which jericho is, i guess i don't know it's literally nobody like yeah the daniel bryan heel run 
was like fourth quarter 2018, and then he does promos in the first quarter 2019, but it's, you know, it's not a very long, sustained thing, and it's not a singular promo that was great. Yeah, man, Cody's promo was the best, like, major platform promo in wrestling of the year. Like, I feel like that's pretty safe to say. Yeah, like, David, I mean, like, that's... Go ahead. I was like, David Starr has some stuff, but I'm talking about between like the major the major companies that are that are airing on television and all that. There's nothing that really comes close to the Cody one. Yeah, and when it comes to it for a money promo, I heard some people kind of trying to make the argument even that that it's not a money promo because it doesn't make you interested to see the match or whatever. And I think it did. I think it. I think in some ways, you know, adding the stakes of. You know, I won't challenge for the title if I lose was maybe not a smart move, but I think it does add some stakes to the match that makes it interesting. Um, you know, I thought that it was good overall, and I thought that I heard someone, and I can't remember who, put make a point that was pretty good, was that he didn't in any way put down Jericho that diminished his star power. So even within the context of that concept of, like, cutting a promo, he did a great job. So, you know, all in all, good stuff. Uh, yeah, what other news of the week? Is there anything that you wanted to talk about, Quentin? Uh, no, I just want to give a shout out to a guy named Jihad Scorsese that has been putting out these wrestling articles over the over the course of the week. One of them focused on GCW and one focused on Cody Rhodes and AEW and a lot of it fo- focusing on blackness in wrestling, prof- profiting off of black likeness in wrestling and just wanting people to do a better job with those things. So I wanted to give at least some sort of spotlight to that the gcw one is perfect and it highlights a lot of the same problems that i've been voicing on here about gcw in the aew one a lot of valid points i didn't agree with every single thing in the in the aew article but it's still a very much a worthwhile worthwhile read and i'll tell tim to put the links to those two articles in the description for the podcast that I will do. I read the articles as well. Um, I'm with you that I think uh, done really well. Completely agree with the GCW one. And in a lot of ways, I'll say I do agree with the um, with the one about kind of Cody and AEW. Just because of the angle that he's taking, I think, was fair in pointing at especially Cody. And kind of Cody's take and the way he's looking at things. And... Especially that shirt. I mean, fuck. <laughs> that yeah, the, shirt was like, like specifically really in regards to Cody, I agree with pretty much everything he said there. Right. As far and like, you don't have to like step out on that ledge with me, obviously. But as far as the, you know, there's not a singles black talent on the on the on the programming that's there and all that. My point, and I said it in Slack. I'll say it publicly. Is like, I. I understand, but AEW was also a promotion that's trying to get off the ground, and they only have one show a week. It's two hours, but they have one show a week. No other, like, and they have the YouTube content, and that's fine, but it's not the same as putting people on TV. And they still have other people that they need to get over too, from Darby to Janela to Jimmy Havoc to Private Party, the Lucha Brothers. Jurassic Express, everybody. Everybody needs to be established there. And the reality of it, and that's not even counting the women wrestlers on the roster like Rio and B. Priestley and Britt Baker and all that. Like, There's a whole bunch of people on this show that already need to be established. And for 
a company that doesn't have the same resources that WWE has, doesn't have a ton of programming all across TNT, all across TNT television, it's going to take a little bit longer for them to be able to <laughs> include a bunch of people. And I know that ideally, like, you know, you're doing that right off the get right off the bat, but I just don't think realistically that's a thing that you can pin on them so early in their existence. Right. And you know, it, it plays into what I talked about last week with the ACH thing, a culture of white supremacy <laughs> to use a, a popular term that may be a bit harsh, but a culture of, you know, a predominantly hegemonic race being in charge and perceived as stars for decades leaves you in a place where you're at a deficit to have those stars. And we, we talked about it in the Slack. I, at the time when we were having the conversation, I didn't even equate it to the AEW article necessarily, but just in general, the sentiment that we're seeing around with people talking about that. But like, okay, AEW does have kind of a log jam in the top of their card situation because they have two EVPs who are going to, without a doubt, be seen as top level stars with Cody and, and Kenny. So that's already, that portion of your main event scene is going to be filled with them. Then you've got, you know, someone like Adam Page who's connected to the elite as well. He just happens to be connected to the group. So that didn't, doesn't leave you a lot of slots for people that they were going to add in to be at the top of the card level from the jump. So you get someone like Pac who's perfect because of his connection to Japan, his connection to WWE. He's a big star. He's got a, he's got a, you know, an, an attitude problem. And on top of everything, he's one of the top wrestlers in the world right now. So why would you not want to sign him? Then you get Moxley. Who's another perfect, just happens to be a perfect fit. He's very disgruntled. He wants to spread his wings and actually show off what he can do. And it falls into your lap. So those two were kind of, what were they going to do? How were they going to have anybody else fill the role? But then on top of that, the guy, the champion, Chris, Chris Jericho. And the, the kind of my point of all of this is that what, kind of basic resources they have to pull from is the star making apparatus and history of professional wrestling for the past couple decades, which is going to be predominantly white because of the fact that the only star making company in wrestling was WWE for how long. So they didn't have any option because there is no black Chris Jericho that they can sign and have them have any name recognition and star power from the jump that could fit that role. So while their hands are tied in a lot of ways because the top of the card is going to be filled with people who are involved in actually putting the company together. You can argue that whatever way you want. Then you've got other slots that get automatically filled with guys who just happen to fall into their lap at the perfect time. And then you don't really have, you have a star power vacuum when it comes to people of color because they inherit a culture of white supremacy that's already existed. Now you have to give them some time to try to correct that before you can jump all over AEW for not giving people chances because we'll see what happens a couple, you know, a couple years and we're still at the same role. Then yes, you're right. They're not, they're not actively going out of their way to create stars out of people of color. But as of right now, it's like, what were they going to do? I mean, the closest thing you got is I remember at PWG once rich Swan referred to himself as the black Jericho, but uh, I don't think they want to sign him with his kind of issues. And, and I think he signed to MLW right now anyways, or maybe TNA. So there you go. Like, who are they going to hire? That's, that's got that star power. That's, And that's what my point there is like, if we're being like totally realistic and totally honest, they have, they already have a bunch of projects and your name already people, the the people that are going to be at the top of the card and those people are going to get their, get their TV time. And then you have people that need to be established. that haven't been as big of stars as Kenny Omega and the Bucks and Jericho and all that. They need to get established too. And 
Darby, Jan- Darby, Joey Janela, Private Party, Riho, Britt Baker, Jimmy Havoc, Sammy Guevara, LAX, all need to be established. They all need they all need that same shine and able to um and be able to get time to get their characters across too. And they've barely been able to do that for everybody. Like Joey Joey Janela versus Sean Spears is happening on full gear, and no one knows why. So I think more than anything. AEW needs to find out a good, a better structure for getting for getting people over because right now with the two hours and how big of a roster they have, that's hard to try to cram in everybody and push everybody the way that you might want to see that. And then adding on and then adding on more people to that just creates just creates a bigger logjam and then it creates other frustrations. Well, they signed into the roster, well now well now they're not pushing them and it's it's a it's a messy situation and it's a difficult spot. And like you said, if more time passes and it hasn't improved, then yes, I would like to revisit this conversation and say AW was a lot of lip service. And I still believe that that was a, was a lot of lip service and that this is just more white, like white, white supremacy on top and wrestling again. And it was just using the, prog- the progressive thing as a shield and a way to get people to fall in love with them. I'd be totally fine with re- re- revisit- revisiting that at that point. But until then, after a month of TV, and still less than a year of being an official company. I just still want to wait and see on that. That's it. That's all. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right. Well, um, do you want to get into talking about some wrestling? I mean, I'll let you kind of lead the, the show. We're going to do just, I guess, maybe kind of a bit of a grab bag of, of some stuff that happened in Japan um, over the, the past like week or so. Yeah, I don't think either of us got. I, I didn't get to watch Gate of Destiny yet. I had it pulled up, but I was doing a little oh, bit of a Dragon yeah. Gate catch up, so I didn't do Gate of Destiny. But I finally was able to catch the October eighth Kirk, and that had Benkei versus Mochizuki and Masada Yoshino versus Shun Skywalker. I don't know if you saw either yeah, of those yet. I did see them when they happened. Um, Yoshino and Skywalker, I thought was pretty awesome two guys that i i mean yoshino has always been one of my one of my like i won't say guilty pleasures but one of the the dragon gate guys that i think i like more than most people um and he's you know relatively popular but maybe just for western fans um so and then shun i think fits a similar almost fits a similar role um that yoshino has historically but i think that shun has a higher ceiling possibly right now just because of who he's surrounded with um at his at his same kind of rate right now yeah it was a fantastic i really enjoyed that match a lot and uh it was a, uh, it was another kind of a uh, situation where i watch the show and and i pick out the matches that i want to watch and shun outshines ben k <laughs> as he always seems to do and i just always wonder why they went with ben k instead of shun if i'm perfectly honest i mean yeah but like every, i think everyone knows that shun is the better worker but i think they still think that ben k can be a star and you know i don't agree with that i don't think ben k is really gonna be anything as he's really still really young into wrestling, but I I don't know. I just still don't think Ben K is gonna be much of anything. I watched that Mochizuki Ben K match, and if Mochizuki, for one, he's a definite top fifty guy this year. And if you haven't been watching Dragon Gate or watching his appearance, his scattered appearances on other shows, then you really should catch up because Mochizuki is having a really really awesome year and it continued there in that Ben K match where I thought his performance there was phenomenal I thought that was maybe the best Mochizuki performance I've seen in like two years maybe three I thought he was just stellar in that 
in my problems with Ben K continue where I don't know how long he's going to be able to keep getting carried by these incredible performances by amazing wrestlers. Like Pac was able to do it, do it at Kobe world and here Mochizuki is doing it. And just like, I'm at some point I'm waiting for Ben K himself to impress me in one of these big matches. And I haven't seen them. I haven't seen the Yoshino match yet. So maybe that, so maybe hopefully that's the one, but in his two title matches so far this year, it's been the other guy working circles around Benkei and making that work just because those guys are such good wrestlers. Yeah. No, I mean, that's that's kind of where he's at right now. Um, and I don't think it's worthwhile. Luckily, Dragon Gate still has a lot of guys, even with the kind of little mini exodus. Um, but they still have a lot of super talented veteran workers um, that can continue to carry someone like him for a bit. But... Dragon Gate is also a company where I don't think you can get away with that long term. I don't think your champion can be a guy who's who's clearly being carried that way long term. He's going to have to eventually have those title matches with, you know, the dregs, kind of. The uh, the not the top of the, the, the tier elite guys, you know, he's going to have to have them. And when those matches start to stink out the place, that's when, uh, that's when I think the crowd will completely turn. I, and... I don't personally. I don't know how hard, strong I feel the crowds really are towards Ben K. Do you like? He's over, but I haven't seen too many of his defenses since he won the title. But have you been noticing? Because I thought I, I have a little bit. That the crowds are kind of softening on him even more. No, he's not really that over or anything. Gate of Destiny, and you can't really and you can't really put this on him. But Gate of Destiny didn't really improve off of last year's bad number. I think it got slightly worse this year. So, if there was any hope that Ben K would turn into some drawing star, I think now it's looking more bleak and bleak. Again, just started. Maybe the rain turns around, but I'm not optimistic about that. And I don't know, man. I just keep I just keep thinking back to when T Hawk was there and when they just would never pull the trigger on T Hawk. And they pulled the trigger out of Ben K, I guess, out of necessity. But it's just so weird to me to watch them go full tilt on this Benkei thing and have him beat Mochizuki, have him beat Yoshino. He's probably going to wind up beating Naruki Doi at Final Gate. And you just look back and it's like, why the fuck did you never do that for T-Hawk? And I think that's all, I think that's going to come back to haunt Dragon Gate for a while. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I think especially as T-Hawk continues to develop and we'll, we'll see. He hasn't gotten a lot of big shots in AEW yet, but I think that he's, you know, still got a chance of uh of continuing to be one that just makes them look really bad you know for dragon gate not maximizing his potential if seahawk would have like left earlier when the european scene was still of any value and he went over there in like a sort of a shigahiro iria type thing where he was over there and people suddenly started acting like he was good seahawk would have been like getting called the best wrestler in the world if he had left if, if he had left dragon gate and went to europe and like 2016 2017 yeah that's probably true i mean there was a lot of people that kind of got that got that rub at that time when it was super hot over there so i like i always love shakahiro irie and the next thing i know everyone in europe is like oh my god irie is so good i'm like what the fuck like, I'm just, <laughs> I'm, i've loved irie since this whole time and then like, i was like all right fuck this <laughs> <laughs> yeah at least oh. i got to see him oh did you see um Walter and Sakimoto versus Okabayashi and Yuji Hino. Yeah, I mean, 
it's funny because it's it's almost like a microchasm version of uh of what I was talking about last week with Star versus Devlin, where it's you know wrestlers of the year wrestling each other having a great match, and this isn't quite um the same, but seeing uh okabayashi and walter interact with each other was definitely like that you know these are guys that are in that conversation i think you know walter less so just because of the limited you know schedule that he's had this year but definitely guys that are in a similar lane and uh and brought it out man the interactions between okabayashi and walter were just what you would hope for or just what i was hoping for um, like I said, not in the same conversation as that match from last year or last week, um, just because, you know, it was, a, it was a badass tag match and they beat the fuck out of each other. But uh, it didn't have, you know, anywhere near that same level of, of aura or whatever the kind of presence around it and the way everything was feeling. But, yeah, this was it was a breath of fresh air getting to see Walter in there just throwing some heavy leather with some big bad boys and everyone looked beefy and mean. He looked he looked excited again. It was like, yeah oh shit like walter looks happy to actually do this thing it doesn't look like he's just showing up because he gets he gets the contract him getting that hot tag in the match and his beef with yuji okabayashi throughout the whole thing it was just like man you you kind of get disappointed watching stuff like that and that that tag rule i don't think i'm as i'm as high on it as i've seen other people be i think other people have it as like a top 20 match of the year for them or possible top 20 match of the year and I don't think of it that highly, but it's super fun and definitely worth and definitely worth watching. And Sekimoto's been really good in these sort of big all-star tags. The uh, Sekimoto teamed with Takuya Nomura to wrestle Mochizuki and Elgin a couple of months ago, and that and that ruled too. So Sekimoto's a, been a really strong guy in these sort of all-star tags that Big Japan's been doing this year. Yeah, his Sakimoto's an interesting guy, honestly, for the way that his career has ebbed and flowed. And I think that it's really easy to to overlook him as just a guy who's worked primarily the same over and over again and just has the same style forever. But he does, but he also moves up and down the card and fits different roles really well, even doing kind of the same style of match repeatedly. So it would be interesting to have like a psychology is dead about Sakimoto, honestly, um, just with he's had a very interesting history of a career I'd like one of to the most one of the down. most unselfish like top guys ever to the point where you maybe don't even consider him a top guy because of how unselfish he is yeah that's actually a, a pretty valid point to like make he, about like him, he's honestly. been he's been the king like him and yuji have obviously gone back and forth on this and when yuji shikawa was when shuji shikawa was unsigned um they sort of like all, all three of those guys were sort of rotating it and going back and forth with who was the king of the Japanese indies. But I think people kind of undersell Sekimoto because while Shuji Shikawa has always been really protective of himself, Sekimoto does literally does not care at all. Yeah, no, totally. I mean, and it's interesting the way that he can stay so over and have the major aura while, uh, while doing that, you know, just being so unselfish. It, it's his talent. I mean, the guy really brings it. He's another guy I was lucky enough to get to see live, and I really appreciated it. Uh, just the just the aura, and like I said, just the the vibe that he gives off is enough. You don't even really need the work, but the work was still there. I mean, he still busted his ass. So yeah, I mean, he's an interesting one. He's a guy who is in that conversation when you talk about like all timers in different ways. Like very interesting career just to think about and take apart. I don't know if he ends up you know wrestler of the decade or whatever conversation too too high but he probably deserves somewhere on the list you know 
I mean, in G, I mean, GWE, I had him like, I think I had him like in the fifty to sixty range. Like I, yeah, like I, I think he's had an astounding career. And just based off sheer volume, if you're someone that's like, well, like you know me, I think like Zack Saber Jr. and Walter and Chris Hero have been some of the best wrestlers of the last of the last few years. And if you're someone that values the kind of volume that those three guys have had during the decade, then Sekimoto is one of your guys too, because Sekimoto has that same kind of volume. Yeah, definitely. Um, I had bought the Fight Club Pro streaming service just to go ahead and try to catch up and give things a fair chance before we go ahead and do the top 50 because that's com- that's coming up very soon so I'm trying to get everything together and I throw one I think it was the international techers techers show and I, w- I don't think I-, I don't know why but I wasn't really expecting much of anything as I want to open the show I think nah that I think I think will versus Dan Maloney is on night one of DTTI. But Techers has Fletcher versus Sakamoto, Thatcher versus Maloney. And in the main event, it had Michael Michael Moore versus Mark Davis for the Fight Club Pro title. Now, I remember this match. I remember the title switch happening. I remember the reaction when Davis won the title. And for some reason, it just never occurred to me, like, oh, man, this match might be really fucking great. And then I get to that match, and it's like, holy shit, that might be one of my top 20 matches of the year. And is the best Mark Davis performance I've ever seen. Michael Satomura continues to be really fucking good this year. And it just occurred to me like, wow, I think Mark Davis's best singles matches ever have both have been, have both been against women and has been against Kaylee Ray and against Michael Satomura. And I thought that was just a really fun little thing. Yeah, that is interesting that, uh, cause yeah, that, that, that feels like that's, I mean, that is right. So, huh, you wouldn't really think about it because he does have his issues being like working to his size and his dominance. It's odd. Yeah, but like, like, like against women, it's the only time he ever, I guess, fully explores that. Like, yeah. I, I remember when the Davis Kaylee Ray match happened and Davis felt like fucking 2005 someone with Joe. I was like, oh, what in the world is going on here? Like, this is. This is different. I like this. And then Davis turns heel, and me and you were both pretty critical of him when he turned heel because it felt like he was just the same guy and he didn't really adapt or feel like a heel. And if you watch that Michael Satomura match, that's incredible. He feels so much. He feels like a heel now. It feels genuine. The sneering, the sort of mocking of the crowd, how he would kick Michael, and even his selling because Michael kicked his ass throughout, throughout a lot of this. He sold his. He sold really well. It was like a flawless performance from Davis. And I don't know. He doesn't do too many, I guess, intergender matches. But I was thinking, maybe you have to start calling Mark Davis the best uh, <laughs> intergender match worker in the in- on the indies, I guess. Yeah, he should do more. That's for sure. So we'll see. Um, but, but we'll like talk about some... Oh, how, much, how much would that have right if we got Mark Davis versus, Mark Davis versus Nixon Noel? Ah, yeah, I know. That would have kicked ass. Oh, man. Because she had... Good matches with Brooks. I couldn't imagine what uh, what Davis. Could yeah, be. so imagine her with date with Davis then, because like we yeah. both love Chris, but Mark is definitely like a better wrestler there. Yeah, yeah, especially for that so the dominant kind of thing. Brooks is you know sleazy, but a nice kick ass dominant badass heel. Ah, uh, well, 
you know, obviously Nixon is <laughs> doing well now, randomly tagging with the girl who fucked up her knee um, on SmackDown or whatever. Uh, but, you know, whatever. They'll figure it out, I guess. Did you happen to catch uh, Cole versus Cole versus Brian from? No, no. I heard it's good. It's really good. Brian yeah. is really good at it. Good in it, and I won't undersell Cole here. Cole was really good in it too, and that made me think about how Cole is such a weird wrestler, and always will be, because you were watching Cole back then too. So you know that Cole started off as a babyface, and is sort of naturally a babyface, but. It does, that really doesn't translate for him as a promo, but he's an otherworldly great guy at getting a heel character over. Whether it's a whether it's a cool heel or a hateable heel, he's always gotten that over pretty well. And I just thought I just thought watching that Brian match it was interesting because Brian was in control for most of it, and Brian was talking shit to him and stretching him really violently and saying "Show me that you belong" and all this kinds of stuff, and very much. Cole was the babyface in the match. And I was just wondering what your take on that is Cole, like, like, like right there with Christian as being a guy that in the ring, he's a complete babyface and comes across like a babyface. But in every other aspect of wrestling, he has to be a heel. Yeah, that is, um, that is an interesting thing. And it is Christian's a good comparison for that. Cause it is pretty similar. Um, Cause yeah, I can't, I really, as a, I don't know, maybe he'd be better now, but as like a pure baby face character, he'd never, it never works for him. And I never thought it did even, uh, that kind of tease where he joined back up with, um, with Kyle and, and Bobby fish in ROH towards the end. It was like the whole time he just expected him to turn, you know, um, cause of just his natural kind of scuzziness. So yeah, that is a, it's a tough thing. And wrestling in general has gotten worse about that with a lot of people who, who just don't really follow the, the guidelines of working like a heel in general. Um, so yeah, it is, it's tough. That's a weird thing about, uh, about Cole, but that's a good thing about Daniel Bryan, you know, the greatest of all time, basically. Uh, he could make, uh, he can make anything work if he, he can kind of tell what your talents are and, and, and make something out of whoever it is, you know? Yeah, like they like he had a good match with he had a really good match with Brian and then people rolled out. Yeah, but everyone thinks Adam Cole's a bad wrestler. It's like he wrestled maybe the best wrestler of all time and like for sure the best wrestler of a generation. Yeah. Like, you know, you know if, if he down. didn't have if he didn't have a good match with him, that is a way way harder testament to him than than anything else. Right. Um, did you check out any of the G zero three, two, one battle G zero that's happened so far? No, I forgot. I, 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 I forget that, that I forget that three, two, one does that thing now. Maybe yeah. they've been doing it, but no, this is second year. Yeah. Second year. Okay. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting that they do that now. Yeah. I, I mean, there was some good stuff. The tournament matches were all pretty good on the show. Um, I, I'll be honest and say I skipped most everything else. Actually, I watched all the first half live, and then the second half I only watched the tournament matches um, just because of the way my night ended up going that night. It was last Friday. Um, yeah, I mean, the tournament matches were all interesting, the way that the booking is going out. I, re I recommend checking them out, especially um, Makabe and Williams. Uh, really good. Is that Travis uh, Williams? Yeah. Okay. Dan 
Dan did a great job, uh, obviously. Williams is really good at what, what he is, obviously, but you think of Dan as being a natural heel, and he just he worked this match perfectly against a heel, playing kind of subtle babyface, um, and, uh, and you know, getting to show that off. And then uh, Judas Icarus versus Bambi Hall I'd recommend as well. So it's kind of the top two. The other, like I said, the other tournament matches were good, um, but those were the ones to really go out of your way to check out if you're just trying to cut everything down and watch the the best of the best stuff how, how happy are you that people are checking out that judas Icarus and elliot tyler match oh super stoked man honestly i mean that could end up i won't end up in like my top 10 matches of the year but if like if i was doing a particularly like indie kind of matches of the year thing i could see that yeah, ending okay. up in my conversation for like a top you know 25 to 50 um just because as i talked about last week i mean it, it had something special and unique to it that really feels like the new generation, which I think is cool. And I've always, you know, been a fan of that. So it's getting to see that and, and getting more people to check it out is awesome too, because I think that, yeah, it, it, again, it's, it's the future of, of, of the, of this, of, you know, wrestling, which we all enjoy, but you want to see the, the guys coming up and be prepared for what's next. Cause like I talked about when I kind of talked about that match last week, the Indies are getting raided, but the talent comes up. It just, that's how it works. It just keeps the indie, you know, scene always replenishes itself. Yeah. Dylan, Dylan had put out there on Twitter. Who do you think are going to be the next regional guys to break out as national and possibly international players in wrestling? And one of them I said was Judas, Judas Decarissa and me and me and you are both super high on him. And the other two I said were Schaff and Thomas Santel. And Shaft just beat Artemis Spencer recently to become the Defy World Champion after Artie had a pretty long reign with the belt. And Defy hasn't put that hasn't put that out yet, but I'm very intrigued and excited to see that see that match when it goes on their streaming service. And Thomas Santel, you watch Uncharted Territory, and I think you've seen a good bit of Thomas, but Thomas I think especially has an interesting potential because I think that's a guy that could possibly go internationally and he might not be a big star in the u.s but i think in german in germany and england he could be a pretty regular guy over there yeah definitely he would fit that scene super well um so yeah i mean he's a good one he's a good call and i i almost it's weird for me because i'm so you know i get so familiar with watching certain people at that level so much that i don't even know who to say is or isn't already, you know, a breakout national star. So I guess Satel isn't technically, but to me, he kind of feels like he is. So I wouldn't even think to say him, but he's a really good call as someone to say. Um, Schaff, I mean, he, through the working relationship with Defy, has come out here to, to Los Angeles with PCW Ultra a couple times. Um, great look, you know, works, super intense worker. Um, and yeah, he's another one who, with those kind of things combining and then opportunities, could definitely become become a breakout star all right so i guess i'll give give you the pick here we can do uh abbreviated rundown of power struggle and then get into some wrestling talk first or we can do ddt ultimate party which wouldn't be an entire an entire review but i think maybe there's a little bit more to say there so i'll I'll, I'll let you pick on that one yeah let's let's do new japan first because i think everybody else would probably do it the opposite way Okay. So let's 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 buck the trends here. Let's uh let's start with New Japan. Um obviously there's I mean there is a lot to talk about, but we can abbreviate our conversation when it comes to in-ring matches, right? Um really 
I don't know. The only things to talk about are the top two matches. I mean, Ken, I mean, Kenta versus Ishii was was pretty was pretty good. I thought. Yeah, a, a you know like a rematch from a match that a lot of people had issues with. I actually personally thought that the Rev Pro match was fine. Um, I get why people have an issue with the concussion stuff. You know, obviously that's gonna throw it off. But I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just dumb, but I didn't even really notice. <laughs> so you know, I was kind of like, ah, whatever. I thought it was a fine match, but this was definitely better. Um, and Kenta definitely feels like he's coming into his own, uh, or getting his kind of bearings again back where he should, he should be. Ishii's obviously, oh, he's good for a couple good matches a year as far as I'm concerned. I think a lot of people like a lot of what he does all the time. I yeah, you're, you're, you're not, a, you're not, a, you're not like a huge Ishii guy. No, but I think that every now and then one of these kind of big time dick measuring contests, especially with the right person, um, and Kenta I think is the right person. Um, it can be, you know, somewhat enjoyable for me. Yeah, I mean, I thought Kenta had a really good G1. And I thought people were being way too hard on him after the Abushi match from Destruction, which I thought sucked. But again, that's one match out of his entire run where I'm like, ooh, yeah, I don't know about that one. Because I thought his G1 run was pretty great. And it was nice to see him get, get back on track here. And obviously... That sort of na- sort of an afterthought as after the match, the Kenta versus Ishii stuff got some got a little bit more steam. I mean, Kenta versus Shibata stuff got a little bit more steam behind it, and they ran another angle between the two. So, you know, we're two months away from Wrestle Kingdom, and is feeling more and more like Shibata is cleared to wrestle in some capacity. Do you think that it's going to be Shibata versus Kenta for the Never title on one of these nights? Or do you think that they're going to do a thing where it's like Kenta versus Goto, and then Goto wins the belt the first night, and then the next night they run Kenta versus Shibata? Because doing it that way wouldn't really work because then Kenta doesn't really have any heat going in the Shibata match because he already lost. Yeah, that wouldn't make any sense to me. Um, But do you want to put the Never title back on Shibata? Like, you would think you'd want him to win unless That's you have a thinking, plan like, for a bigger angle. Like, like, if he wins that belt, that tells me that Shibata has been cleared for a pretty good amount of time. And I don't know. I'm I'm really fascinated here because I don't know exactly what is going on. But, you know, I guess that's part of the beauty in wrestling is just being like, I don't know what the fuck is about to happen here. Right. He's got to be cleared, right? I mean... They couldn't be doing this just to like have it just be Goto versus Kenta. No, no, nah, man. Make if any he, sense? If he if he wasn't cleared, then I then I would be like, yeah, come on, guys, you can't do that. Why not? Why not just do Kenta versus Goto then? <laughs> yeah, without all this, because you're getting people really excited. And Goto's already, I think, a lot of people's not people's favorite. <laughs> and so, like, the idea that you would tease Shibata return only to give Goto would just be—it's just like throwing it in everyone's face, making it even worse. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's a weird, it's a weird thing. God, I, could they do a tag team match? I don't know. Like who would you even put with Kenta? Um, fucking Yujiro. Oh God. Chase Owens. No, like, I don't know. Fale. It, ha- it, ha- it has to be a Kenta versus Shibata singles match because if it's not right. that, like that, again, that's just like really mean and cruel to do that. And then not not give the singles match. Right. So, I don't know. Maybe you could do Goto and Kenta on night one. 
And rather than have Goto win the title, you actually have like the stipulation be like, if Goto wins, no, I, I was going to say if Goto wins, then, then Shibata gets a title shot. But if Kenta wins, Shibata doesn't get a title shot. It's just a match. You do something stupid like that, but I don't know if that's exciting for people really. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you'd put the never title on him, especially because you're going to unify I mean, jumping ahead. You're going to unify the, the NJPW, the IWGP champion and the intercontinental title. So you're going to have even less singles belts. Do you also want to put one of the singles belts on a guy who I don't know how full time he is. I don't know. That's about to ask. I'm like, and that we can save that for when we get to the, I guess the big part, but I'm not sure if they're going to be unified, but moving on another big thing that happens here Osprey versus Bushi junior title match. It was good. Yeah. I guess I don't I don't have too much to say about it. There was some cool spots. Osprey's a really great base. And I wish that there were more people on the roster that could do like more intricate flying and lucha spots with Osprey because Osprey is probably one of the best bases in wrestling and he hasn't been able to show that off too much recently. And I thought Bushi did some stuff that looked that looked really great for, against him. And the big thing here was people were like, okay, you're running a random Osprey versus Bushi title match. This has to be where Hiromu comes back. And finally, after after a year of saying, Hiromu's going to come back right now. This, this is the moment. Hiromu's going to be back. Hiromu, Hiromu did actually show back up in the post-match. And Hiromu Takahashi and Osprey hug. They have a weird and they have a weird promo segment in the ring and along the lines of what of what Haruma was saying in his promo is talking about people that were wondering if Haruma was going to be safer in his return and then in response to that Haruma decides that he's going to run around the ring and bump and throw himself into the turnbuckles so <laughs> clearly we see where Haruma's, Haruma's brain is at but Ashe versus Haruma set for Wrestle Kingdom how do you feel about that? Um, I think it's awesome. Um, you know, you talking about Osprey and, and being a base and kind of that he worked at that Lucha Britannia thing in, in, in England where he, there were like, you know, British people trying to do fake Lucha or whatever. And just thinking about him as a from the backyard and just never really have. I mean, he was officially trained, but not really always trained in the styles that he does, especially like Lucha and how good he is at it. And it was kind of like. Is Osprey like kind of the John Jones of wrestling in the like just natural athlete who like was able to be self-taught on stuff and still figure it out like really well without ever really having to do a lot of training? Like Dude, it's kind of crazy to think about. That's actually a really good comparison and point that we think about it. There's no one that there's no one that you can point to is like, oh, yeah, that's who trained Will Osprey. And Osprey will, will point to Paul Robinson, but that you know, wasn't really his trainer. Yeah, in a lot of ways, like Osprey just did backyard wrestling with him. Yeah, so yeah, Osprey just sort of would watch shit and go. You know, it's sort of like, it's sort of in a Kenny Omega way, where Kenny, right. where, Ken, where Kenny Omega, he eventually went to developmental and all that. But when he first started, he didn't actually get trained. And if you go back and you can find some of that early Kenny stuff, it's like, damn, he's still pretty good at that at that stage in his career. So, will Osprey into John Jones? isn't too bad of a comparison i guess i guess it's still if you wanted to throw in all the extra negative extracurricular yes. shit that, 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 yeah. that happens with them what happens with them 
Right, the personality and the outside of the ring stuff makes sense too. But yeah, I'm super excited for this. I like the vibe that they gave um, coming through. I think that all the pretenders to the throne, including uh, including the um, the fiend, um, are all now gonna have to you know step back as the real Joker of wrestling has returned here with Hiromu. Because when he come out, I was like, oh yeah, like this is that the new Joker movie. Like the, Hiromu fits that more than any other wrestler really he yeah, comes but, across but, with that same vibe yeah that, and that's always been him too like that's yeah not him. that was even before that movie was popular he was just like this so so what are you thinking here is that you know they have they've shown to have good chemistry in the past i really like their new beginning in a soccer title match i'm pretty sure i think they had a match at dominion of last year that was right after her won best of super juniors that I wasn't over the moon about but that was still a good match. And here we are, Hermo's return. And they're making it very clear that they're going to go out there with the intentions of feeling like a main event and stealing the show. For a guy that's coming off of a broken neck, like it, it kind of feels like Osprey maybe isn't the best guy for Hermo for to wrestle, but you know, I'm not the guy that's a stickler for that stuff. And if, if, someone, if someone is deciding that that's what they want to do, then... They're a grown. They're a grown person. You can't. Re- you can't only do so much about that. Yeah, there's nothing we're gonna be able to do. I'm not gonna be able to stop. Uh, stop Hiromu from doing Hiromu shit. He comes out here and he takes a crazy bump into the guardrail just for fun, and you know takes a pratfall and on the stage after running around the entire ring up and down the ramp and just acting like a complete nutbag. Um, and he's going up against, you know, his equal part in being a fucking psychopath. So. The thing is, both these guys are so good, like, honestly, but they're also so stupid. And it's, it's like, it's tough because the match could, it feels like it could be terrible just because of that. But honestly, I think in a big situation like this, there's, there's no chance of it. I think that they're both going to bring it in a way that's just going to fucking own. I mean, it's just going to be nuts. And you just talked about it, but Osprey is a base. I mean, Hiromu is a guy who can do some intricate lucha spots with him and show off that kind of base thing. Plus... Hiromu's personality now, the way that it flies, just completely flies off the page. Huge, big-time personality. This match... This match is going to be fucking awesome, and not just for the match. I mean, the the build, everything that's going on here is already super cool, just by playing off of this, like, nature of both of them basically just wanting to show off and kill themselves. And, like, they don't even have a problem with each other. They hug at the end of the promo. There's no... Like, there's not even really much teasing of that they dislike each other. They they want to just show how insane they can both be. So, it's kind of scary, for sure. But, you know, lightning doesn't strike twice, they say. So, what are the what are the chances that anything bad happens to Hiromu again, right? I think people always forget that, like, what happens to Hiromu happened on the accident. It wasn't the gradual buildup of you doing stupid, of, of, you, of you doing stupid things. It was a genuine botch gone as wrong as possible on a move that he has taken from dragon lee several times in the years that they've been wrestling each other so you know maybe that's like maybe that's being a little too optimistic that Hiromu wouldn't find himself in a similar in a similar position but yeah you know that really was like a lightning striking kind of moment where he got hurt taking a move that he's taken several times yeah, you wouldn't, you can't really put it on either guy. It was really random. It was a move that 
you know a bunch of different people have done over the years obviously dragon lee does it does it with the bridge but most people don't but either way i mean you know again he's taken it dozens of times at that point there was no issues ever before just kind of a freak accident that happened in that situation in main main event jy versus goto i think me and you were more interested in this than it seemed like a lot of other people that were tuning into the show were I don't think it was like, oh, man, this is going to be great. But it's like, you know, these two had a really good match in the G1. And there's no reason why they don't have a good match again here. And I thought this match was a little bit worse than their G1 match. But I, I still liked the match. But, uh, you know, for people, that's probably not going to be a thing that they go back to or really care for. And it's probably going to be one of the more forgettable main events of the year. Yeah, I mean, it was... I liked it, but I can definitely see, like, the G1 match was better, obviously, and that does come with just being shorter, I mean, if we're perfectly honest, you know, and, and not feeling like they had to pad it out with making it extra long and adding in so much extra stuff like they, they do when it's a big-time New Japan main event, that's what you expect, but one thing I really liked is we talk about Jay White and being a scuzzy heel and cheating and being a coward and stuff like that, but in this setting, as the champion and going up against Goto, who's, you know, always looked at as kind of in that just barely underneath the top tier. He's kind of the, the top of the second tier kind of guy. Um, that wouldn't make as much sense for Jay White not to take it to him. And and he really did, but he liked the back work. I liked that he focused on working the back a lot. I thought that Goto did a pretty good job of selling it. And, uh, and that little wrinkle of it made everything kind of made the match pop a little bit more for me than, than it would have otherwise, because it was something special, unique for this setting. And again, it was not necessarily exactly what you would expect um, but, uh, but it was done really well. Yeah. Like, like you said, they did unique body, body part work and they committed to it and it wasn't just thrown in there. And it felt like it was still a focus, even as the match got down to its closing stretches. Again, it doesn't pop off the page for a bunch of people. It wasn't like extraordinary selling. It wasn't like Goto was doing his best Kenny Omega or Shawn Michaels impression with his selling, but it was just really solid work and I appreciated it. And, and after that, we get, we finally get the answer to what we were speculating this whole time about what are they going to do with the world title in these two dome shows? And officially it's the double gold dash, Jay White, Tatsuya Naito, Kota Ibushi, Kazuchika Okada. Sort of a tournament but not really a tournament. Um, just stipulations, really. IWGP title match between Ibushi and Okada on the first night. Intercontinental title match between Jay White and Naito on, on the first night. And then the winners of those matches meet each other in a winner-takes-all match in the main event of the next night of the Dome shows. And then the losers also face each other in a, in a special singles match on that Dome show as well. So we finally get some confirmation here. And Tim, I don't know about you. Maybe I'm the fool here, but you got to see United winning this thing. <laughs> I think a lot of people do. I think a lot of people expect that. It's odd because he's the one coming in with nothing. But that's but know. that's but that's why it makes sense. Yeah, I could definitely see why that makes sense. He's also the one who it feels like orchestrated it. He's been talking about it and trying to make it happen for a long time, so it kind of makes sense. Um, we'll see. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked. I think that it's probably, I'm probably with you. It's probably the right call also to go with, with Naito there. Um, but, uh, but we'll still see. I mean, 
you mentioned it earlier, but could they do something where the match doesn't have a, a real finish and we don't end up with the titles unified? Is it possible? I doubt well, it. But... Well, well, um, no. But what, what my thinking is not that the match would have a real finish. It's more that. So I don't know how much you've kept up with WWE this year, but when Becky Lynch uh, won both of the women's titles, it was she would defend them separately. So she had both the SmackDown and Raw women's titles, but I believe that she defended the SmackDown one against Charlotte or something on a pay-per-view when she lost it, but she still had the Raw women's title. So I'm, yeah. I'm thinking maybe something like that could be the course here because I'm not sure you you unify the belts because the IC title still is used as a, as a draw and like a headlining belt. Yeah, it's just it's it feels different because it's not like in WWE where you have two separate brands, you know. So it feels weird to have him lose one and keep the other. Yeah, that'll, that'll be weird. But again, I think that's what. Even if some people aren't super excited for, I think that's what makes this Wrestle Kingdom so interesting. Is that Definitely. you don't know what the fuck is about to happen here. No one knows, and all you can do is sit here and watch because this is just a really weird set of shows. And this thing could go anywhere. We don't know what's going to main event what shows. We don't know what's going to be on what spot. Could the junior title be the semi-main event of one of these shows? Who knows? But I think that's what makes this so interesting. Yeah, definitely. And and I think that the junior title definitely could be semi-main event of one of the shows with the, the match that they're putting forward here. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is interesting. Having two Dome shows and everything that's going on, the Liger retirement is still somewhat up in the air on what his actual final match is going to be so we'll see what what happens with that there's still a lot of moving pieces you know yeah so i guess so where are you on it you know like power struggle was the last major stop before before wrestle kingdom and no one really pays attention to tag league you know like there's no one's gonna watch tag league so right now that's where everyone takes their break from new japan and we're gearing up for wrestle kingdom and we're going to get more stuff confirmed as we get closer to January 4th and 5th. But, yeah, where, where, where are you at with it? Are you excited compared to where you were for Wrestle Kingdom, Wrestle Kingdom last year? How are you, feel, how are you feeling? Just where, where is your excitement level at? Because I get the feeling that a lot of people aren't as into it. I honestly have very little buzz for watching the shows, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, like... I, yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of, I won't say checked out, but kind of checked out on New Japan in general, really. Um, there's some good stuff, and I really, I, I, we talked about it, I enjoyed the G1 a lot this year. But, uh, yeah, realistically, I don't care about the big matches, because they're kind of repetitive and, and boring for me at this point. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention Tanahashi versus Jericho is confirmed, too. Yeah, that's happening now, which is not going to be bad but again it's like i'm not i don't know how excited i'm really going to be for for watching that i'm going to i'm going to enjoy watching it but i'm not excited to watch it if that makes mm. sense um and a lot of it feels like that to me for the big shows and now with new japan it being two nights and even more going on it just it honestly it it waters down what little buzz i would have had even more into being like god i'm gonna sit through this and we'll talk about it when we get to the next show that we're going to talk about here but you know six hour long fucking uh, DDT shows and like just I don't know man I just I'm I'm burnt out on really long shows and I'm definitely burnt out on repetitive match styles that have, seem to always have to have the same kind of 
finishing sequences and and that's not the case with new japan 100 percent. and i think that it even is unfair when some people talk about it that way but um but there is a lot of it that is that way and there is some good stuff and there's things that i like but i'm to the point now where with new japan i really have to cherry pick so i can't there's no chance i'm gonna watch it live although i never really was a like stay up all night and watch japanese wrestling live guy just because of historically i watched it on tape delay where it was, sometimes it would be months after the show happened that i would see stuff so i was so, that's, so that's just like just, just still your habit yeah so i'm still fine with just it being that way i don't really care about watching japanese wrestling live even though now you kind of can a lot easier than you could before um so yeah i mean i'm not that excited and i think i'm honestly less excited about this than i have been a wrestle kingdom in a, in a long time i mean you know so so yeah, I'm just I'm losing my buzz on it. They're just they're watering down the product and stuff is just getting more and more repetitive. For me, I'm at a point where I like the ideas that I'm seeing, but for one, like the dome show thing I think is bad. I think that's overextending it. And while I could deal with some of the other stuff, like um you know, made the the whole double gold dash thing and Kenta and Shibata, Kenta and Shibata being in the air and all that. I could deal with that, but I wanted the, I would ideally want that all in one all in one show, I guess. Like I think it'd be interesting if New Japan had went ahead and did this thing where they had these big title matches sort of early in the show, and then you went ahead and had the two winners go ahead and collide in the main event. I thought that would have been interesting. I think trying to stretch it out for these two nights. I don't know what to expect here for attendance. I don't know what to expect. And, you know, I'm someone that does watch Wrestle Kingdom live. It's something that, I, that I've been doing since we've had the ability to do that. And right now I, I want to watch, I want to watch it, but doing that twice in a row and granted, like when, whenever that happens, my, my sleeping schedule already gets fucked up, you know, adjusting it so I can watch weird Japanese, weird Japanese wrestling. But yeah, I'm I'm just not really excited the same way. But granted, we well, I at least was feeling that way last year, and that was Kenny Omega versus Sanahashi. That was Okada Okada versus Jay White. Goto, uh, no, it wasn't Goto. It was like it was like Minoru, it was Minoru Suzuki. No, what the fuck am I talking about? Who was the never title match last year or this year rather? Uh, I. I'm not gonna remember that off the top. The of my never head. title match. Who the who the fuck was it? <laughs> this last year, I can. I'll yeah. Here in a second, I don't. Hmm. I have. Yeah, I have no clue who's in the never title match. Which, like, usually I can think of that stuff all the top off the top of my head. Right. That's pretty damning that I cannot remember who the fuck was in that match. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, it's the never title, so. I'm not gonna... I know, but I mean, still, you know how my memory is. I can remember most of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, I usually can get all of that kind of shit. Let's see. Let's see. Uh, maybe they didn't have a never title. Oh, Osprey Kota Ibushi. Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That, that was match. really good. <laughs> yeah, that match kicked ass. Okay. That was the yeah. concussion match, right? Yeah, I forgot that Osprey was, a fake was never yeah. champion. <laughs> yeah, that feels like that was so fucking long ago because it was like Osprey was gonna get this, you know, run as a heavyweight off of that, and all, and then none of that happened. Yeah. Okay. But. Yeah, that turned that turned out to be a really awesome show. So yeah, it was actually. You know, maybe that maybe it'll be a thing. Maybe it'll be it'll be a thing like that, where we're not excited coming in, but the shows are gonna be really good. But yeah, I'm I'm not excited the same way I was I was in the past. I'm there with you. 
Yeah, I don't think it can be, though, honestly. Two nights, so much. It's just I don't think that there's a way to end up over-delivering when you have that much content. I'm just I'm going to be perfectly honest and put it out there. And, and I agree with you, though, that last year was, was actually ended up being really good. So we'll see. All right. I think that's about everything for New Japan. So you ready to go ahead and close yeah, the show out with DDT? Yeah, let's do it. And I already you know mentioned it, but fuck these shows are so long like seriously that's a that's a it's a real interesting thing when it comes to japanese wrestling shows is how long these things go and granted I mean, DDT a lot has always been super long oh yeah know, that's or... a that's like a ddt yeah. staple that these shows go absurdly long and maybe it's the, maybe it's part of the advantage i guess of us indies and how they do stuff on delay and have the time to edit that edit everything and all that but even like live streams of stuff like Uncharted or even or Sup, they go by relatively quick. They have everything down down pat there, and you know in Japanese Japanese stuff with Dragon Gate, DDT, New Japan, and whenever the other companies are live, it's just these these shows are really really long to sit through, especially if you're trying to watch watch them live. I remember several times when I used to be someone who tried to watch Dragon Gate live all the time where you know i just couldn't do it we're going like four or five hours here and sometimes six and long long intermissions long breaks between matches and it gets really it gets really really trying and sometimes i just wonder how that live experience is for people when you're in a situation where the show was just so fucking long like that yeah it's 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 really tough to sit through it and appreciate it but what i was thinking about it kind of it's like i guess when you have a younger fan base and maybe it's like a japanese cultural thing i don't know but maybe like for them it's a big night out you know and so they want it to take up the whole night um and i could definitely see that you're in a big arena and i mean comparatively how long do like football games go i guess they don't go three hours but they go pretty long you know so I don't know. What's the big difference? Maybe that's just kind of you're delivering kind of a bigger spectacle. Some big concerts can go like a couple hours. So, yeah, but it is kind of insane just how long it is. And, and maybe it is a cultural thing or maybe it's just a young person thing. It's like I, I feel like I'm just so old that I couldn't imagine going to anything for more than three hours at this point in my life. Like, so I, I watch a lot of battle rap. I'm a real I'm a big battle rap fan. There's something about the biggest battle rap league that's out there called Ultimate Rap League is when people go out to these events, these events are sometimes going like seven fucking hours. So you gotta imagine like from a live perspective as like being in the audience and then watching live on a pay-per-view stream, how trying and difficult that is. So I can only imagine like, just like trying to do that too and doing like this DDT stuff in, you know, it's not something that's going to change anytime soon with the length of the shows, but it's a very valid thing to get worn down by, especially when you've been watching Japanese wrestling for so long. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, I mean, obviously, I, we already talked about it before. I didn't watch everything on the show because I, I, I had a weird fucking week this week, if I'm perfectly honest. Um, so, you can run down whatever kind of stuff you want to talk about specifically from the show, and I'll, I'll give my thoughts on anything that I actually saw. Um... I thought Asami Kadaka versus Sanchihiro Takagi was exactly what it needed to be, and 
but it's perfectly fine and fun for its place and uh, possession on the card. I, I enjoyed that. I don't think you saw that, right? Uh, actually, I did see that, and I did think it was fun. And I, I'm with you. It was like perfect, perfect match for what it was. Um, uh, you know, stupid, you know, KO- stuff like he always does. KOD 10 man tag title. Not, not anything great, but fun, fun tag. And those tag, those belts are probably going to be a fun addition to the D for the, to the DDT shows. After that case, well, there's a match between that, but after that, I watched KSK Ishii versus Fuminori Abe for the independent world junior heavyweight title. Did you catch that? I sure did. That kicked ass. Yeah, um, man. Yeah. I loved it. Um, I was surprised at how fast they were working that match, considering how long this show went. And granted, when you actually look at this show, all the matches are relatively short, and the main the main event only goes about twenty five minutes. And it's just weird. Like you look at the length of the show, and then you're looking at the length of the matches. It's like, huh? Like <laughs> like yeah. This, it sort of like doesn't check out the same way, but. I kind of wish that Ishii and Abe maybe got like three, four more minutes, but I really enjoyed it for what it was. And Abe's a guy that if Abe made made it, if Abe's matches made it online more, and if he got pushed harder, I'm not sure Abe wouldn't be the best wrestler in the world. Yeah, I really, really like Abe, and I have for a while, and he's really coming into his own as more than just kind of a, a young boy, but it's interesting because he hasn't really developed more to his look. But uh, watching him here was the first time, I mean, obviously the his look is reminiscent of like a young Loki, and he even kind of looks like Loki in the face. Um, but his style, I kind of saw like the lineage of that. Like he's he's that, you know, from that same mold of the original, like the the, the genesis of it with like Dynamite Kid, you know, Chris yeah, Benoit. Real, just, yeah, just real snappy. Yeah, you know, Davy Richards, Loki, that kind of those hard-hitting, snappy kind of strike-based juniors who basically juniors that try to wrestle like King's Road style somewhat, um, but do it at a really, really breakneck pace. Um, and he fits that mold, and he's honestly probably one of the best doing it right now, um, really. Uh, Ishii is another guy like Ishii is on the other side of the spectrum where he's got a lot of look and a lot of it is bad as far as I'm concerned. I unfortunately I've been turned off by he, look, he, he looks like complete shit, but he's such a good wrestler. Yeah. yeah, I've been turned off for him for a long time because of how shitty he looks, but he's so good. And these guys are great together. And honestly, I, I get what you're saying that the match could have gone longer. I think part of what made this match one of the better matches on the show was just how quick it was and just how. I mean, the pace didn't let up and it was hard hitting. There's a lot of other comedy and jokes and matches can be quick in DDT, but it doesn't feel substantive. This was quick, but also felt like there was a lot to it. So, so that definitely, I think even helped make the, the match stand out. And, uh, and yeah, these guys are fucking badass. I mean, if they were in a company where I've talked about it a ton with DDT, but if they were in a company where something like this had more of a chance to get over, I think that they could. Um, but unfortunately they're in a company where a match like this isn't necessarily the crowd enjoys it and they appreciate it but it's not going to make you a star yeah and you know granted abe abe is a is signed elsewhere and ishii has just has left ddt recently and you know gonna become one of those japanese indie scum boys but they they are both they are both guys that i kind of wish more got done with them because i think the talent level is there uh after that union pro max title 
Masahiro Takanashi versus Ryuichi Sakine goes about goes about ten minutes, and I feel like a lot of people when they were looking at this might not have been as excited for it as maybe I was. Not that I was like super amped, like oh man, this is gonna be incredible. But I like Masa Takanashi, I like Sakine in the bits I've seen of him. So I thought I thought this was pretty solid. I thought this was one of the better matches on the show, and I'm not sure if you you caught this one. Hello, hello, hello. Oh, shit, I'm muted. Sorry. Uh, I did not watch it, but I'll go back and check it out. Like you mentioned, everything on this show is relatively quick, so it's not a huge investment to go out of your way to watch something like that. Okay. And after that, Yuka Sakazaki versus Shoko Nakajima for the Princess of Princess title match. Uh, TJP offer match on the show. I mean, TJPW title match on the show. And I've... I enjoy... Tokyo Joshi Pro last year, I thought between Miyu Yamashita's title run and the tag title run, TJP was producing some really strong shows. And I think a lot of people would echo the sentiment that the in-ring sort of dipped after tag title switches and after Miyu Yamashita drops the belt. And I've been very critical of that. I think, I like, in my honest opinion, I don't think a lot of people on the roster are as good of workers as Miyu Yamashita. And when you... And I get it that you need to get other people over, but, you know, Miyu Yamashita is just, she stands out so much, so head and shoulders above a lot of the roster. But I think right here, I thought Sakazaki and Nakajima really held their own, really got the crowd on their side, and gave me a little bit, gave me a little bit of hope here that maybe those Princess of Princess title matches will get back to, like, a, to a upper tier quality. Yeah, I mean, I, Tokyo Joshi Pro is interesting because I think that for my taste, they have probably the best mix of kind of character, look, and work compared to other Joshi companies. Like, you got Stardom, which is primarily kind of character um, and look is kind of what they focus on. Then and you got, like, Sendai Girl, which is, like, Sendai, pretty much, yeah. it's like, which is pretty much, like, all in ring. Yeah, it can be a little dry. And, and Tokyo Joshi Pro does a really good job of, of being an entertainment wrestling company. The same as DDT, really. Um, where they have personalities and they have characters, but they can also go. Um, but you know, the other part of it too, is that like it wax and wanes and it doesn't, it's not, it's never been a consistent company, honestly. Um, unfortunately. And, and yeah, I think that they could, you would think by this point too, that they would be kind of corrected with the connection to, to DDT and, and the working together that they would normalize. Cause DDT has done such a good job of, of doing that, but they really haven't. And they've said, they've stayed kind of steadfastly the same where it's just like, it really depends on the level of the, the talent that happens to be there at the time and who they're focusing on um, is how good the company is, which, you know, obviously makes sense, but it just it varies wildly from time to time, like how good the overall shows are. And there's always something worthwhile to check out, but I don't know. I would just expect I would expect at some point that they would stabilize and be more consistent, but they just really never are. Um, and it's a shame because, like I said, I think that they would be the best kind of mix of of everything for people to actually want to pay attention to them. Um, and maybe they do really well in Japan and I don't even realize cause I don't follow the business of Joshi wrestling at all. Um, but it doesn't feel that way. It doesn't feel like they're one of the top Joshi companies, but maybe they uh, are. Maybe I think they, they were, I, I think they were doing pretty good business last year. Okay. I'm not, I'm not sure exactly, exactly what the numbers were, but I'm pretty sure that consistently, especially on the, especially on those current show they were doing, they were doing pretty good business. 
which okay. was part of why when we were doing the um, formerly known as Always Barry Tanner's panel, and we were talking about DDC and his case for promotion of the year, is that you could even take Tokyo Joshi Pro and make a case for that being promotion of the year, just, just based off the in-ring and how good they were drawing on that level too. Right. And so, yeah, I mean, if you're if you're really going to cast a wide net and put it like the overall family of, of promotions, I think that the DDT kind of family is, is really strong because they also have their scuzzy underneath uh, like Basara and stuff that also do uh, do pretty well for what they're doing, you know? Yeah. So did you have any thoughts? Did you have any thoughts on the match or can we move on here? Oh, we can move on. I, I, I didn't even really talk about the match, but I thought it was pretty good, but it wasn't great. It was, it was you know, fine. Sakazaki looked good. Uh, Kenny Omega and Riho versus Antonio Honda and Miyu Yamashita. All I left from this wanting is, God damn it, please give me more Miyu Yamashita and Kenny Omega interactions, and I would gladly take a singles match between those two. Yeah, yeah, and it was interesting. I mean, this is, I think, kind of the epitome of what some people think is the issues with Kenny, and I can see it because there is some stuff here that doesn't make sense, and there was some stuff I didn't like. I especially didn't like kind of teasing striking. Um, Miu and, and and just because I mean you're in the match with her and, and you're treating it like it's just a match so it's like it's odd to me to to put that that moment in there where he acts like he's gonna punch her but then doesn't and thinks better of it it's it, it wasn't necessary and I think that's, it really that's hurt like the a that's like a common thing in intergender matches though yeah but in this setting you're trying to treat it more like it's just an equals you know it just I, I just the other stuff that he does throughout the match it's like there's no hesitation but for some reason that's the one thing that and it's really just a one moment thing and i just think it kind of messed with the psychology of the whole match um you know or just didn't fit the psychology of the entire match but um, uh oh go ahead yeah i was gonna say like i, I agree with you but i don't know like, i think that's always been a thing with me when it came to just intergender match intergender matches in general where I just don't like the whole, like, I'm not sure if I should do it. I'm not sure if I can. And then, you know, it's, you know, on his face, I get the psychology of it. I get the idea behind it. But also, like, you're two wrestlers in a make-believe thing. You should probably just go ahead and wrestle. Yeah, and I think that when it's the when it's the story of the match the whole way through, then sure, it's the same as anything. It's like selling your leg or whatever. If you If you're consistent, it's fine. If you're not consistent... It's not fine. And I think that if you're willing to like hammer sledges to her back, then why are you not willing to just punch her in the face? Like, you know, it's, it's not as if he wasn't striking her. He just for one moment didn't want to punch her. And it's just kind of odd. Um, but that said, I mean, the action, and like I said, this is the, the thing that people will say is the issue with Kenny and why he's not getting over in AEW is, you know, this match was serious athleticism with a lot of mixed in comedy and joking, but it, I mean, that's obviously what works in DDT. And that's why he was always so good in DDT. And I don't know if, western fans or AEW or whoever's paying attention now if it if they're able to appreciate it the same way um but this was a really yeah i mean the interactions between uh honda and and omega were fun riho is obviously really great and wearing the AEW title here we talked about it or i talked about it when she won the title that this is a good thing you got kenny got the triple a title there and yeah i i i really really enjoyed this but i can definitely see like this is the epitome of what people say is like the problem with Kenny is that he can't be just a hundred percent serious top guy. And then that's what people want him to be doing in AEW. And it's kind of like, well, maybe, you know, wrestling can change. It works in DDT. Maybe it can work in other places too. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. But like, it's also, is not, no, Kenny doesn't have to do anything. I think like, I think anything, I think if anything, Kenny Omega's career 
shows that he's a guy that can get over doing whatever doing whatever he wants. And that's been clear even before New Japan and being a top guy in DDT. We saw Kenny, we talked about it when I did the psychology that with Brock cover long ago, but Kenny's a guy that when you really look at how over he was on the U.S. Indies, it's like, yeah, Kenny was so much different than ever, than anything else that we had seen. But Kenny was becoming a molten hot megastar on the U.S. Indies. So it can work. I think some people have their own reservations on what they want Kenny to be and what they want Kenny to accomplish. And that if Kenny is this big star, then he should feel like a bigger star. But Kenny's a guy that's always found a way to get over. And I think right now, because he's in a company with guys like Moxley and Pac and Jericho and Cody that have, are all coming, are all fresh off of WWE television and WWE format, which is really like all the AEW fans want, which is WWE formatted stuff with just competent writing. Kenny Omega is a guy that has to, to that, that takes some adjusting if he wanted to do that. But I'm not sure Kenny has a desire to be that guy. I'm not sure that's Kenny's job to do that either when you already have guys that fill that role. Right. Yeah, I mean, again, I just... People want... That's the story of Kenny's career, right? People are trying to fit him into a square hole or whatever. He's a he's a round peg. Um, and he always has been. And you said it. I mean, the thing is, is that he always makes it work. There's something about his personality and his athleticism and his brain that's just like whatever. But I don't know. We'll see. I, I This is the only time that I've been a little bit shaky about Omega, honestly, in the current AEW situation. He just... It's the only time I've ever seen him where he feels gotten to. It feels like Kenny is shaken and maybe isn't as confident as he normally would be. I, I feel like he's second guessing his performances in some ways and just the way he's going off on social media and just everything about him. I'm just like, I don't know. Like Kenny just doesn't feel like Kenny right now. Um, and then here he's back in DDT and he does and he feels right back where he is. So hopefully this helps. Hopefully this helps, uh, increase that confidence because obviously the in-ring is always there with Kenny Omega, but there's been something about the personality that's been felt a little bit off and, uh, Hopefully this kind of can can be a boost for him to bring him back to normal, um, and we'll get to see some some you know Kenny being Kenny in AEW finally. I mean, this might be some like you know galaxy brain thinking here, but you know the whole idea between Kenny Omega, I mean about Kenny Omega in AEW that he hasn't been himself and that he hasn't feeling like the quote unquote old Kenny Omega. So you know, right? So I'm not saying that's what it is. You know, that's a you know sort of like a big brain take there. But I'm just saying, you know, there's a chance that that is the idea. And that maybe, you know, Kenny has done that stuff before where it made us feel like, oh, man, Kenny Omega is doing this and that in a real, like, meta way to make us think that he's not working hard and that he's not, you know, working up to his push. And then he sits there and turns it around, and you can see that it was, like, all storyline or attempted to be storyline. So I think it's worth something worth keeping in mind. Yeah, I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't. He's probably one of the most like overthinkers in wrestling ever <laughs> like just the way that he's he's constantly working and he's i think his attention to details outside of the ring is only really matched to his kind of attention to detail in the ring honestly so it could be and it would make sense because it does completely fit the narrative and i didn't even thought about it until you just said it right now but it's it's true it, it's really true maybe i'm getting worked by kenny omega even to this day it's <laughs> been, been 11 years and kenny omega just still yeah. Still fucking with you. <laughs> exactly, man. 
Um, so I guess we, we can get to this main event now. Harassment yeah. versus Takashita. Title versus title match. Kid, the open weight title that Takashita was coming and carrying. DDT Extreme title that Harassment was coming coming and carrying. And these two have been kept apart from each other for nearly three years up at this point. Uh, their last singles match was Super Saitama Arena and that was early 2017 and Takashita won that one and Hiroshima, I, like, I remember that match and it was very he was very mean in it and attempted to, to, attempted to murder Takashita in that match and here we are a few years later and Takashita has only grown and Hiroshima has taken a step back letting you know, Takashita being the face of the company and here they are meeting each other again. And in the video packages, they reference that as Takashita wants to firmly put Hiroshima in the rear view and he wants to take DDT and mold DDT how he wants it. And Takashita's been, been a dick, man. He's been a dick to Disaster Box. He's been a dick to Hiroshima, been a dick to people on the roster. All Out have been um, shading towards more heelish as the, as the months have gone on. And you could definitely see that in the Tetsuya Endo match from Peter Pan that we talked about when that when that happened that Takashita has been sort of a dick. And that was her that was the build here. And it put Hiroshima in a position that he hasn't been in, in a while where Hiroshima is usually in control. He's the one that's dominating and picking someone apart. And I thought it was a really interesting wrinkle and touch and something just nice to see that they put Hiroshima in a more sympathetic role for this, for this match. Yeah. I, uh, it was interesting cause you wouldn't expect it. It's kind of subverts what you'd expect. You expect the grumpy vet to work kind of the domineering kind of over the top character or, you know, in the match, um, and have the younger, you know, Takashita play the underdog babyface, which he does so well historically. But we've talked about the kind of development of Takashita a few times and how he's kind of getting into being a grumpier, more, you know, kind of violent, aggressive, on top guy and not so much of the thoroughbred, just like kind of, you know, hard worker, good babyface, Ashuk's happy to be there kind of guy. And it's been working really well. And this was phenomenal. I loved the back work and going back to the, the Boston crabs repeatedly by Takashita and really cranking it over on Hiroshima and uh, loved Hiroshima constantly going to the double knees repeatedly them his like Meteora, which I don't know what he calls it, but he you know does some variation of it multiple times throughout the match over and over again. So I really like that story that there was like a consistency between the attacks between the two guys. Um, I kind of said my only, my only issue and I mentioned it in the Slack chat, obviously, which is, you know, the, the catch phrase of this podcast um was just that the selling f between both guys didn't match <laughs> like it really was odd they just felt like they were two completely opposite spectrums for selling wise Hiroshima was a lot more subdued and realistic and kind of told a really interesting story and got a lot of sympathy and Takashita felt like kind of over the top with his selling when he was selling and 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 really kind of um just ridiculous big bumping which he always does but so yeah just it to me again it's like another thing where it's like i'm fine with consistency one or the other you know is fine and can be done well but when you see them compared to each other directly that way it does kind of break the 
psychology and the you know the physics of what's going on in the world of of the narrative of the match that i'm watching but otherwise i really enjoyed you know everything that was going on here and, and you talked about the story that's being told was was phenomenal that's not i mean simon's saying what match of the year <laughs> and like that and yeah, i don't like, know yeah. like that feels over it's, the top to me and that's why i was like maybe i missed something by not watching this match live but simon evan liam all like oh man that's the match of the year that's the match of the year and again, maybe that might have been the emotion of watching it live, and that's something maybe we missed out on that. But and when I'm watching it, I see a match that's it's really good. It still would have made my my match of the year tracker anyway. Have it if I have it at four and a quarter. So I really enjoyed it. But um, something I said, I thought I thought a rational selling was good, but uh, I think most people would kind of nitpick with Hiroshima selling if it was any other person in the world. So when like Hiroshima is getting his back worked over the next thing I know, he's doing a superplex into a Falcon arrow spot. <laughs> so it's like, like the thing, things that don't bother me, but it's just like if someone else did that, I feel like they, I feel like they'd be getting killed for it. But you know, I guess Hiroshima was just so endearing in the match that even whatever selling inconsistencies that there might be, and there isn't a lot of them. It's a good, it's a good performance. It's a really good match. So I'm not saying this to completely shit on it, but I think because Hiroshima was so endearing and just the overall total package of Takashita being so unlikable and really leaning into being a dick and taunting Disaster Box and doing the Boston Crab to Hiroshima right in front of his stable mates and kicking, trying to kick them away and all that stuff. It's, it was, it's a really easy match to get behind and to get behind the story of Hiroshima working to reclaim his spot from this 23-year-old, 24-year-old piece of shit. So, for all that, it's really good, but I just didn't think the selling came across, I guess, as well as it did to my, uh, to, to our friends that watched it and were so high on it. And honestly, maybe uh, for me, the finish felt a little flat. And I think that's always been a thing with the Somato, but I guess with this with this big show here, it just didn't feel like the crowd got as engaged for the closing stretch as you would have as you would have hoped. Because I remember other I've, I know plenty of other Hiroshima matches where the building to it, you know, the springboard somato or any sort of or any sort of somato variation, and the crowd is getting up on their feet in anticipation, and it just didn't feel like that for this Takashita closing stretch. What did you think? Yeah, that's that seems fair. The crowd wasn't getting into it, and I think also part of it is probably you know Takashita. The... It didn't make sense. It probably didn't feel right for Takashita to, to lose here. So probably people didn't buy into it happening. Um, so I could definitely see why they wouldn't be into it, but or why they weren't getting super hot for the finish. But I definitely agree with you that it didn't seem like that. And it did seem maybe a little flat. The post-match I thought was really good, though. Um, and kind of like, talk about it as DBT being an entertainment company. It feels like, you know, like the end of a play or... or um, or like Saturday Night Live, where the whole cast comes out into the stage and takes a bow as uh, as Hiroshima does the kind of closing show promo. So uh, so that was I thought that that was cool, and the crowd got into that. It was it was really um, emotional, you know, like yeah, Kudo Kudo and Hiroshima embracing, and those two have been in DDT from the beginning and have had an on and off rivalry, but there's a mutual respect there. And Kudo was cheering on Hiroshima when Takashita was trapped. Takashita had him trapped in the crab and urging him to get to the ropes. So there was, there was a lot of really emotional notes there. 
And even when harassed him a speech, he calls Takashita back out and they bury the hatchet and Takashita's crying and is emotional. So, you know, for what it's worth, it's a really emotional match. So when I say that it didn't hit for me the same way, like I get why it hit other people that way, especially if you're a really big Hiroshima fan. Right. Yeah. That's definitely a good point. That's a good point there. And if you're invested in it, I could definitely see it being a bigger relief, but, but, uh, or a bigger kind of moment to see. Um, but yeah, I just, it didn't hit me. I thought I enjoyed it quite a bit, but it didn't hit me the same, I guess. And I think me and you were pretty much on the same page with that. So in, in the midst of this, Kenny Omega comes out. And Kenny Omega is looking longingly at the DDT KOD title. And sort of it's implied that Omega is going to be coming for the belt. So this D, this D King tournament is coming up. Takashita is now beltless. Hiroshima is now the double champ. It looks like it's prime for Takashita to win D King. So. Where do you think this whole Hiroshima, Takashita, and Kenny Omega thing goes? Because I think now it's safe to say that with AEW only being a weekly show at this point, and they're not, they're not running house shows, it's weekly TV, and then maybe they'll have a special. But their their schedules aren't super busy. And I think Kenny working DDT a little bit more often is a feas- is a feasible thing. So where do you where are you thinking that this Kenny Omega Hiroshima Takashita thing goes? I don't know. I don't know if he's open enough that he can do D King really. Um, he's, not, he's not doing D King, but I'm just saying as yeah. far as coming back and maybe winning the belt, doing some doing the bigger shows. It he has he does have the time. Yeah, and I could see it. I could see it happening. And I think I heard someone mentioning also that he made some references calling out Indo as well. So he's calling out all the top ddt guys so obviously he wants to work with them so i wouldn't be shocked if he won if he won the title back and and ran through the roster a little bit and eventually probably loses to takashita <laughs> but uh, i think it would be a lot of fun and i think that it's very likely to happen he can easily fit it into his schedule like you said is it and kenny we talk about him but he's not he's not the guy in aew right now and i think I'm not sure it's the worst idea to just have him sit there and go back to his first home promotion and maybe build a relationship there and be a guy that's going, that can be a bridge and continue to be a bridge for the DD for the DDT and AEW relationship. Yeah. It'd be really smart, especially because we talked about it, but the Tokyo Joshi pro, you know, connection is helping them quite a bit with their women's roster. Um, and getting more people from DDT because DDT has a giant roster, you know, obviously we talked about it. So you can get a lot more people coming over from, from DDT here and there to just show them off and stuff. So it's a good relationship to, to build and it would help, you know, build Kenny Omega. And obviously it seems things are going a little bit weird between Kenny and new Japan. So uh, maybe DDT will be the place for him. Which match would you personally be more excited for? I think, I think we'll wind up getting both Takashita Omega and Hiroshima Omega, but out of those two, which match would you be more into? Takashita Omega, just because you've got the kind of master student thing uh, with with Takashita, not you know directly being trained by Kenny, but looking up to Kenny obviously and having references to Kenny Omega in his his move set and his Kenny his Kenny was a with... Kenny was a big part of his uh, 
his rise because that Golden Lovers versus Takashita and Endo tag tag feud was the was the thing that really established Takashita and Endo. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's more just the history that's there and the connection that they have is more is a little bit bigger. So that would be the the one that I look forward to more. But I think the Hiroshima match might end up being better. But I think that would be the match that I'm more emotionally invested in. All right. I think I think that's about it for us when it comes to DDC. I think we both really enjoyed the show. We both talk, we talked about how long it was and how off-putting that was. But I think for the most part, <laughs> we both we both really enjoyed enjoyed what we saw. Yeah, yeah, it's a good show. It's and DDT is always good to cherry pick. But yeah, it's just I wish that they could, you know, like you said, they have short matches and they and I mentioned they have such a big roster. They put so many short matches on the shows and it still takes up like six hours. It's crazy. Yeah. But it's it's well worth it if you watch just the stuff that you know you like. There's a lot of really good wrestling to enjoy. All right, I think that's, I think that's about it for us this week, then. All right. Well, uh, you know, follow the Twitter QNTR, email us at QNTR, and uh, yeah, thanks for listening, Quentin. Anything else from you? Oh, that's it. I'm like, ooh, ain't no telling what I might do to a girl like you. And tell your girlfriend, come to back to my room. Sip a little something, don't act so rude. Nowhere to do. Let me come and hit it like boom. Tell me what to do, do, do. When you're feeling in a move, move, move. Cause I'm ready, make a move, move, move. And I hit it like boom, boom, boom. Tell me what to do, do, do. When you're feeling in a move, move. Make a move, move, move And I hit it like boom, boom, boom Leaving stars